Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here today. My name is Steve, and I'm the lead pastor and one of the teaching pastors here at Ignite. And this spring, uh, we are going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is the story of a man who had done it all and had tried it all to answer the question of life. How can I find purpose, meaning, wholeness? How can I get the most out of this life? That's what this book is about. Now, the, the author of the book goes by a man. He, he's titled The Preacher, is how he refers to himself. And the word Ecclesiastes means one who convenes an assembly. Okay, so an Ecclesiastes is the, is the gathering together of an assembly. And so what we have in this book is the author, the preacher, chased all the things of this earth and then gathered people together to tell us what his findings are. Is there a way to get the most out of this life? And what we will see and what we have seen is that most of which, which the preacher chased, has been uh, a chasing after the wind. It's, it's, it's uh, elusive. It doesn't, you can't get your hand around it. So to try to find meaning in things and the things of this worth, especially things what he calls under the sun, is, is elusive. It is, uh, the, the Hebrew word is hevel. It means vapor. It means mist, vanity. As soon as you think you got a hold on something, you close just a little bit tighter and it's gone. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but as, as a pastor, when you preach on things, God has this beautiful, wonderful, and almost comical way of teaching you your lesson personally before you preach it publicly. And uh, this last week, I had one of those moments. I got into my car, going to drive up here to the church for work, started the awesome car that I have, which is the 2007 Toyota Camry. Thing is amazing. I love my car. And I turned it on to see the thing that nobody wants to see, which is the check engine light had come on. So I brought it into my mechanic where they diagnosed it. And then they told me both the problem and the price. And I asked my mechanic, I said, is this something that like, do, do Camrys just you know, do they just do this? Is this something? Or is this just normal? Is this regular? Is it just worn out? And he said, no, this is just regular wear and tear on your car. And he said, I mean, the car is 16 years old after all. And I had two moments of hevel right there. As I was standing, it was like poof and poof, they were gone. One, I had, I, I did have the money for the repair. The reason I had the money for the repairs because I was saving for something else. You ever had that moment where you're like, I'm so close to getting the thing that I want. Oh, this needs to be fixed. Poof, hevel, it's just gone. I covered the costs, praise the Lord. I had, and you try to be grateful in that moment. God, just thank you. I'm just, I have the money to do it. I'm really grateful. Just really wanted to do something else with that money. And the other moment of Hevel is that 2007 was 16 years ago. <laughs> which is odd because 1997 is also 16 years ago. I don't know where the time went. I go, what happened 16 years ago? I'm like, well, I was in high school. No, you weren't. You were a father of two 16 years ago. Hevel. 
life, possessions, time, it just seems to elude us. The thing that we try to get the, the meaning out of, it just seems ever out of our grasp. When we think that we have it, it just seems like it's gone. And we've seen that throughout the book of Ecclesiastes thus far. And today we're going to be in chapter 4. And as we look at chapter 4, um, the preacher is going to talk about, he's going to contrast the difference between one way of living and another way of living. Are you going to live your life hating your neighbor or are you going to live your life loving your neighbor? And this is what we're going to see, the contrast between the two. So I'm going to read Ecclesiastes 4 and then we're going to walk through it today. It's also going to be on the screen behind me, also in the Bibles in front of you on page 520. It'll be available there if you want that. And if you need a Bible, that's yours. Uh, we'd love to gift that to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Again, I saw all the possessions that, uh, all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and now they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who, had already, who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that the world has done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no other to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against his uh, one who is alone, two with, will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old foolish king who, knew, who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end to, of all the people, of all of whom he led. Yet those who came after him will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and a striving after wind. And the central theme of today's message is God calls us to live in love and wisdom. God calls us to live in love and wisdom. What we see throughout Ecclesiastes is the preacher observing life and experiencing life, and he calls this life under the sun. It is everything that is created, it is the things that you have around you, it is the life we live in the time frame that we have, it is under the sun. And so he talks about all this life that is under the sun, the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
But we need to understand that the only way that life makes sense is if we orient ourselves to look at God who is above the sun, who is above time, who is above uh, us as created beings. But yet we, we don't. We live under the sun, and sometimes that world gets to us. Even living as a follower of Jesus, life can still be frustrating. It says in eight, Romans 8.22 that creation groans. Like there's a groaning from the world that says life is not everything it should be. There's something wrong. And yet in the middle of all this, life isn't all bad. Gifts are given to us by the Lord. Gifts of salvation and meaning and purpose, but also just common gifts that he gives all people regardless of whether they love him, follow him, or believe in him. Yesterday was one of those gifts. We had a gift yesterday, didn't we? It was the trifecta. It was in the winter. The weather was warm. The sun was shining. And there was no wind. Like, it was amazing. Did you go outside yesterday? I just about cried. I just was like, this is, oh, it's beautiful, right? It's that moment where you're like, because in here, if, it's sun, if the sun is shining, try to tell my southern friends, when the sun is shining in the winter, that means the blanket's off the earth and it's really cold. And yet the sun was shining the wind wasn't blowing, and it was warm. It was one of those gifts. And listen, God gives those gifts to us, and he gives them to all people. Everybody got to experience that yesterday. Whether they believe in him or not, God is the giver of good gifts. Yet life can only truly be understood through belief in Jesus. He's the one who makes sense of all of the world. And Jesus calls us to live in love and wisdom despite the frustrations of the world. We still need to live with God's perspective on things. But we take a look today, and we take a look at the relationships around us, and some of these relationships are heartening, and some of them are disheartening, and it's really about how you approach life. And so what we're going to see in the beginning here is the, the approach to life of hating others. Ecclesiastes 4, 1 through 3 and 5, we see this hating of other people. It says, again, I saw all the oppressions under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. Oppression. People using their power and their authority to exploit those who don't. Oppression is using your power and your authority to exploit people, not help them. That they become means to your end. That, that they become manipulatable. And they, they, you can just manipulate them and control them and crush them if you want to. You can do what you want because it's what you want. Now, I will tell you this. God hates oppression and will bring oppressors to justice. But what we see here is the human condition. We have hearts bent towards sinning. And under the sun, we will never be totally free of the brokenness of the world. And what happens often is, is what we'll see is people who are oppressed, if the tables get turned, then those people actually oppress other people. Why? Because it's the human heart. It's the human heart that wants to use people and love our own gain. It's this desire to, to exploit people for our own pleasure. And what does the preacher say about this oppression? He says, it's better to be dead than alive, but best of all, it's never to have been born. 
It's really chipper, isn't it? If you were thinking you were coming here going, yeah, what, encourage me. Well, it's better, it's better to be dead than alive, and best of all, it's better to be never born at all. And I think the preacher really is reflecting what we see in our own lives. Sometimes we just get so sick of the brokenness in the world, don't we? We're just so disgusted by what we see around us and what's in us. We just get so tired of it that we can grow cynical. We can just go, well, whatever. But hate and cynicism are terrible motivators. Hate and cynicism are terrible motivators. They're powerful motivators. They work in the short run. If you hate something or you're cynical towards something, it can motivate you to do things or be things, but it is destructive. And then he says something really interesting. He says, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Did that one catch you when I was, when I was reading that? Like when I was reading originally, you're like, whoa, that came out of left field, right? Not something you put on a t-shirt necessarily, right? The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. What he's, what he's talking about is this. Sometimes we can get so cynical in the world, we can, either, we can either manipulate people or we can be the ones manipulating, we just give up. And we say, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm not gonna do anything anymore. I'm just gonna live about me, I'm gonna be about myself, I'm gonna do what I want, I'm gonna live just in the, I'm just gonna be here and I'm gonna take all I can and get all I get and get everything that I want. You're folding your hands and you're saying, I'm not looking to the good of other people, I'm not looking outside myself, I'm just gonna fold my hands and go, I don't, I don't care what happens to you. I'm just gonna do this, but what he says is the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh, meaning he devours himself. See, what happens when we look inside of us, if it's just about us, and it's just gonna be about us, and this whole world is just gonna be about me, 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 I, me, me, then what happens is you start to devour yourself. The care that you have for others, the concern that you have, your decency and well-being gets devoured by its own selfishness. And what we see throughout this first part of Ecclesiastes 4 is that if you hate others, it will lead to your own destruction. It will lead to your own destruction. There's a, there's a law in the world, it's, it's the law of sowing and reaping. And the New Testament says, God will not be mocked. A man will eat, reap what he sows. If you sow hatred, if you sow discord, if you sow selfishness, if that's the way that your life is gonna go, you can choose to do that, but just know this, you're going to reap destruction. Your life will be destroyed. Your relationships will be destroyed. Your career will be destroyed. Everyone around you will be left in the wake of just bodies behind you of people that you used up and spit out for your own personal gain. There is a way to live like that, but it is... It is the end of destruction that you will find. Conversely, the preacher will show us what it's like to not hate others, but love others. In Ecclesiastes 9 through 12, two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will help lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no one to lift him up. 
Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can they keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I'm a pastor. Um, and, uh, and one of the things as a pastor is I get, to, I get the privilege and the joy of officiating weddings. I love to officiate weddings. It's so fun. 90% of the people are happy. It's great. It's great. I've had the privilege of officiating 59 weddings. I've officiated 59 weddings. Number 60 is this summer. I'm so excited. They're going to throw me a party and give me cake. It's going to be about me, and they're just going to be present. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to love it. I'm going to get a punch card on some ticket, and I'm going to get, like, you know, six cents off at gas at Flea Farm. Something. I'm getting something out of 60 weddings. But what's interesting is I do the premarital process and we walk through and we talk about the order of service and we talk about scripture that they want read at their weddings. And I would say one third to one half of the time, this scripture is what they choose. And for good reason. It's a great scripture. This is a beautiful picture of what it looks like to love someone else. This is what it's like to be united together with a common vision and working together to accomplish something together. I love this scripture. I get to preach this scripture often. Two are better than one. Two are better than one because they have good return for their reward. If one falls down, the other can help them up. They can keep warm and they can withstand attacks from the enemy. These are beautiful gifts. I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to think through this. Think about a time when you were at your lowest, okay? Think about a time when you were at your lowest. Maybe you lost a friend, a job, a spouse, right? Someone broke up with you. And then while you were down, the world just decided to kick you one more time. You ever had that moment? When you were down at the lowest of the lowest of the low that you could possibly get, when the when the gets to the place where the night was coming and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to see the sun tomorrow. I don't know if I can make it another day. Have you gotten to that place before in your life where you're so low that you don't know if you can make it? And what happens often in that time is someone meets us right where we're at. And someone comes and sits by us. Did you have that friend or that loved one come and just be with you in the moment? And then they walked beside you as you crawled back up into the light? Have you ever had that moment where someone was there for you when you needed them most? If you've had that moment, I would challenge you to do something today. I would challenge you to call, text, write that person and just thank them. Thank them for being there for you in a time of need. It says that with two people, you can stay warm. You can stay warm. How can one person stay warm alone? Maybe there's times where you've grown cold physically 
spiritually, emotionally. Maybe there's times when your heart has grown cold or your body has grown cold and someone's presence brought warmth to your life. They were there, they were cheerful, they were encouraging, right? And just being around them lifted your spirits. And maybe your heart wasn't so cold and your, your mind wasn't so cold and your soul wasn't so cold. Or maybe you've had that physical sensation where you were freezing and someone came and warmed you up. If you go swimming in a lake in Minnesota till your lips are purple and you get out, right, because it's May and you just couldn't wait, and you're freezing, you're shivering like this, and like somebody comes up behind you with a towel and wraps you and then like rubs your shoulders. You ever had that moment? Isn't that great? Two are better than one. Why? Because that person has looked out for your needs and warmed you up with their very self. Their presence and their touch warmed you. Two were better than one. Think about a time when someone had your back. One might be able to power, overpower somebody. Two people win. A threefold strand is not quickly broken. You ever had that moment when you're being attacked? When the rumors start to swirl? I've had that moment of being stabbed in the back by a friend. Awful. And the rumors were swirling and they were saying untrue things about me, but not to me, but they were telling all of our other friends. And you couldn't defend yourself because you couldn't chase down everything. So you just had to sit there and pray that God would show people what is true. I thought I was going to lose all my friends. I really, really did. But my friends actually came to my aid and they came to my defense. And they said, that's not true. I know, I know, Stephen, I know that's not true. I can't tell you how encouraging it was when I thought I was going to lose all of my community when I had friends who had my back. It's wonderful. This is a gift. Those people didn't need to do that. But they did because they loved me. Do you have people who will fight for you? Do you have people who stand alongside you instead of running away from the conflict or turning and taking their shots at you? Do you have people who are loyal? It's a gift. It is a gift from the Lord. It's what happens when people love other people. And then it says, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Often when, I, when uh, people select this scripture for weddings, this is what they're talking about. This is why they want this one in here because they talk about a threefolded cord. That they say, it's me and my spouse and the Lord and it will be woven together. If you take a piece of twine and you can pull it apart, a lot of times you can just pull a piece of twine apart, like lengthwise, but you braid that together and that becomes very strong, very durable. 
And these couples say, we want the Lord woven into our relationship. We want him to be recognized and honored in our home. And that brings strength and vitality to their life. But this applies for all relationships as well. Every relationship can have this. The Lord woven in to your life between the two of you. Some of my best friends are some of the strongest Christians that I know. And it's wonderful to have them with me because we talk about the things of the Lord and we talk about life and we talk about fishing and we talk about hobbies and we talk about sports and we talk about Jesus and we talk about how do we be better husbands and better fathers and how can we grow in Christ's likeness and the Lord is just woven into these relationships. We laugh, we get serious, we talk about the things of Jesus, it meanders back and forth but the Lord is with us in the middle of all of it. Our friendship has depth because of Jesus. And I would encourage you to find friends who love the Lord. Can you have friends who don't? Yeah, we all do. But your strongest, closest friends and those relationships that you want to cultivate, man, I would encourage you, find the people who are pursuing Jesus and run alongside them. You'll see how hating others leads to destruction but loving others leads to flourishing. It leads to flourishing. People grow and they become all that God wants them to be. Why? Because you're honoring the Lord with your life and you're looking out for the people around you going, how can I make their life better? How can I make their life better? What can I do to make that person's life better? What can I lend to them to make their life better? And what you find is the more that you seek that out to make people's lives better and you look to honor the Lord in the middle of all of it, you're gonna find flourishing for them and flourishing for you. It's tremendously rewarding. Two are better than one. A threefold strand is not easily broken. And then the, the preacher, it's interesting, in the, as he contrasts these two, then we get to this conclusion of chapter four where he talks about, gives us an encouragement and a warning about applying this wisdom to our life. In verse 13, it says, Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. It is better to be poor yet wise rather than being rich and foolish. It is better to be poor yet wise over being rich and foolish. It is better to be poor yet wise over being rich and a fool. We need to have this pounded into our head because we constantly have to fight this. It's not hard when you go, okay, if someone had come up with a choice, okay, I want you to choose. Wisdom or foolish? Which one do you want to be? That's not a hard choice, right? We choose wisdom. Well, even if you, that's the Sunday school answer, right? Well, I want to be wise. Great. What if wise meant you didn't have a lot of money and being foolish meant you had a lot of money? What would you choose? That's, where the, that's the gut check moment, right? What if being wise meant you lost your job? What if it meant being wise yet not having a lot of money over being rich and foolish? Now, it's awesome if you're both rich and wise. I know people who are like that. They're incredible people, and they do a lot of work 
in Christian work and they support other ministries and they're doing incredible work and the kingdom of heaven is expanding because they use their wealth and their time and their talent to help others flourish and they use it with tremendous wisdom. Praise God. But it's better if you're young and wise and poor over being old and rich and foolish. Young, poor, and wise is not a bad way to start, by the way. If you talk to people in this room and you look around and they are more seasoned than you, they're further ahead in life, and you ask them about when they, what it was like when they were young, they'll probably talk about not having a lot of money, but they'll also talk about being happy. And they're like, yeah, it was difficult times, but you know what? The Lord met us in those spots. Young, old, young, wise, and poor is not a bad way to start. Old and foolish is a tragic way to end. And maybe these words resonate with you today. You've been using people for your own attempts at personal gain. Or you love possessions and you use people instead of using possessions and loving people. And you're like, it is better to live wisely and loving others. But I have, I've made so many bad choices up to this moment. What am I to do now? The answer is you can start right here to live wisely and love other people. You could start today. You could start in this moment and finish well. Even if you didn't start well, finish well. There's still time. How do I know that there's still time? You're still breathing. You're still breathing, you got time. Because God calls us to live in love and wisdom. This is what God calls us to live. This is, uh, Jesus would echo this, by the way, in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 through 31, when somebody asked him, what are the most important commands? What's the most important thing of life? Which is really what the preacher is asking. Like, What's the most important thing? Right? And Jesus responds to them and says, you'll do two things. You'll love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord with everything you have. And love your neighbor as yourself. Meaning, you take care of yourself, you feed yourself, you give yourself rest, you clothe yourself. Take care of them like you're nourishing your own body. Take, take care of another like you love yourself. He says, every other commandment, every other commandment hinges on these two. Think about all the laws that we have and how many of them could be just summed up. You go, you know, if you just loved other people, like yourself, if you took care of them and you didn't like, you know, exploit them or kill them, what happens if we lived in such a way that we were considering others? Jesus says, love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's the bad news of that. For us to be able to do that, um, we need new hearts because our hearts by nature are selfish, envious, greedy, and boastful. How do I love the Lord with everything I have when I'm really just all about me? You need a new heart. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus gives new hearts. Jesus gives us new hearts. When we put our trust in him, when we repent, which means we turn away from chasing our sin, doesn't mean that you'll be free of sin, it means you stop living at peace with your sin. 
and you go to war with your sin and you, and you disown your sin and you say, I'm not pledging allegiance to this anymore and you turn to Jesus, when you do that and you put your trust in him, what happens is he comes in and he gives you a new heart. What you're gonna find is your heart's gonna expand and grow and be changed, that you're gonna want to love the Lord and you're gonna want to love the people around you. The beautiful thing is God loves us with an everlasting love and he gives us time to change and heal and be forgiven and to forgive others. Jesus is the embodiment of love and wisdom. If you ask Jesus for wisdom, he will give it to you. If you're wondering how much Jesus loves you, know this, he went to the cross for you. He paid your sin for you. All that guilt, all that thing, all that stuff that you're harboring and, and, and having your background, you're like, man, I hope I don't, nobody ever finds out about this and if God ever found about it, he'd never forgive me. He does know about that and he can forgive you. Not by sweeping it under the rug, but by dealing with it once and for all. On the cross, paid for your sin, paid for my sin, and rose from the dead to show that he had conquered sin and death and gives new life, eternal life, to all who would put their trust in him. And while there are gonna be troubles in this world, even if you live in love and wisdom, and when you fail, turn back to Jesus, and it might not work mathematically every way, I do this, I do this, something good happens, that's not how it's gonna work every time, but just know this, that when the world seems like it overwhelms us, we can bring our troubles to Jesus because he has overcome the world. Let's pray.